You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com this is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. British documentary filmmaker Lucy Walker has been compared to legendary director and Here's the Thing guest Errol Morris. She's made five feature films and been nominated for an Academy Award twice, first for Wasteland, about an artist who works with materials found in landfills in Brazil, and the second time for a short doc called The Tsunami and the Cherry Blossom, about the 2011 Japanese earthquake and nuclear disaster. Her critically acclaimed 2013 film, The Crash Reel, followed snowboarder Kevin Pierce after he suffered a traumatic brain injury while training for the Winter Olympics. Lucy Walker's latest film, is Bring Your Own Brigade, a reference to wealthy residents who hire their own private firefighters to protect property during forest fires. The film focuses on two 2018 California wildfires, the campfire, which nearly destroyed the town of Paradise and killed 85 people, and the Woolsey Fire, which erupted on the same day and destroyed large parts of Malibu. Bring Your Own Brigade attempts to answer an urgent question. Why are there more catastrophic wildfires, not just in California, but around the world? And what can we do to mitigate their destruction? Walker's film says these fires can be blamed on more than just climate change. When she started her reporting, she followed several firefighters and learned a great deal about their work, including how these fires get named. You know, when a fire breaks out, the operating commands just pick a name quite quickly. And there's not a great deal of thought that goes into it. They just instantly need names for incidents, especially because with California, often with the wind events driving multiple incidents all at once, you just need to know that the Dixie Fire isn't the Woolsey Fire, isn't the campfire. And they'll often name them for the road that they break out on or a facility nearby. Mm -hmm. For example, the campfire came from Camp Creek Road, which was where the fire was first spotted. 
So it's kind of a loose mm-hmm. improvisation that they come up with these names. And then in the case of the campfire, which became later on the most deadly in history, it has obviously achieved a great sort of notoriety, that name, but that they're, they're coined very quickly. You first became aware of this story when? Were you living in Southern California then? Yeah, I'm originally from England and the Great Fire of London, which actually followed the plague and kind of put out the plague, so to speak, because it killed all the rats, was in 1666. And you think of fire as a medieval problem in London. And then I moved to New York. I was in film school and grad school in New York. And again, you think of urban fires, but you think of it as a problem that we've come together to solve. And then I moved to California and I was confused because the hillside was on fire and people were driving down the freeway as if this was just business as usual. And I was scared. I just knew there was a thread that if you tugged on it, there was a cognitive dissonance. I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew that I had a feeling that fire shouldn't be burning. And there must be a problem because houses were burning and people were dying. And this fire problem actually, since I moved here, in the 2000s, kept getting worse and worse and worse. The fire seemed to be getting bigger, and I wasn't imagining it. And finally, there was the biggest fire ever in California at the time, the Thomas Fire. And I had some friends that were caught up in it, both on the resident side and the firefighter side. I have Where, where was that? That was all around Santa Barbara, Ojai, Ventura, sort of just north of Los Angeles. It began in December 2017, so very late, at the time when the rains would normally have come. And you start to learn about the climate in Southern California and that the real danger zone in Southern California is when the winds kick up, the seasonal winds kick up, but the rains have not yet arrived. And what's been happening increasingly with climate change is that the winds are arriving, but the fuels are still dry. And there's only a few rain events in Southern California. I think on average about five times you get these big rains, but it'll only rain about a few times a year. And obviously there's normally a variability in that because statistically there's always going to be a a variance. It's not always five a year. It's never been that. It's always been on average that. But with climate change mixing things up more and more and the ongoing drought that we've had, there's less and less rain. And The winds are actually more because the temperature gradients actually tend to push up and make stronger wind events that are really drive these really out of control big fires always have a huge wind event at their back. They don't just happen on an ordinary day. They'll happen when the wind conditions are at their worst. And so you start to learn that the fall season in in Southern California is the worst. It's a little different in other states where you get fires earlier in the season, you'll get winds earlier in Arizona and Northern California, in Oregon and Washington, the Western United States. It's not necessarily quite so late. In Southern California, it where the rains come really quite late. That's how the season moves. My brother lives in Santa Barbara, and he has moved and kind of hopped between Montecito and Santa Barbara itself in the in that area. He's been there for many, many years. The mudslides were the next act after that. That's exactly right. The mudslides that came pouring through and crushed many homes and killed a couple people. Oh, killed 22. Yeah. So it's fire, rain, mudslide. Exactly. And I had friends in Montecito, and that was exactly what 
made me get up and stop being a spectator and start to say, where is the documentary film about this? Because for me, documentary films are the best, single best way I have as a viewer to understand a complex issue. When I see a great documentary made by one of my colleagues, I really feel like I know the story inside out. If the reporting's good, if the story and the characters really get me in there. I feel like I get my arms around the issue. I really understand in 360 what's really going on. And there are so many complicated issues that I've really understood for the first time because of a great documentary film. And there wasn't one about fires. And finally, I thought, my gosh, if there isn't one, I'm going to have to do it. Because when that mudslide, the debris flow happened, and it was the end of that same fire I was talking about. It started in December 2017. And then January 9th, 2018, this like just freight trained, but you know, you, you can't even describe that. It's like the hillside yes. came with boulders embedded inside. Exactly. There were boulders inside the the the, the uh, mass that was horrifying. Moving. Yes, exactly. Sort of this gigantic, epic, tragic sliding down of the beautiful mountainside because after the fire, the all the roots had been um the trees had been burned and, and, and you get all this slickness. And when the rain comes down, you're at great risk of these mudslides because there's nothing to stick the sort of earth to the side of the mountain. And it all comes down and kind of cannonballs and snowballs and, and builds up such momentum that houses, you know, were, were actually lost into the ocean and never found. I mean, just such momentum. And over 20 people were killed in the most horrifying way. I mean, I've been in many traumatic disaster zones and I've never been quite so shocked and stunned as what I saw in Montecito. And I'm so sorry your brother was affected because that whole community was just so they devastated. They lost a bunch of kids at the school. Yeah, yeah, devastating. And I thought, my goodness, what is going on? And I had friends who were both firefighters and residents. And I thought, somebody has to tell this story. Somebody has to. I couldn't understand that even as close as Los Angeles, and with all the filmmakers in California, that no one was really right. describing the awful, intense tragedy that these people were going through. And I thought, okay, well, I'll step up. I want to understand what is happening with these fires and then the debris flows that can sometimes be there kind of um, kicking the tail. And let's really get to the bottom of this and understand what the residents and the responders are going through because it's getting worse and I don't like it. <laughs> and are we safe here? And let's find out, is there anything that we can do about it? And my initial assumption had been that it was all climate change because it really made sense, right? We have the worst fires ever and we have the hottest summers ever and the climate change that I follow the science on. These trends really point to that. And initially I thought that was the only thing driving these fires. And, I, and I, so I thought that the cause wasn't going to be too hard to pin down. But actually, while climate change is happening and climate change is exacerbating the problem for sure, there are other factors. And that's actually great because there are some things that we could do. Now, whether or not we do do them is something that you've touched on and the film really blew my mind as I was making it understanding how things actually happen, even when you can fix things, it's not true that they do get fixed. And so I sort of went on a whole journey. Filmmaker Lucy Walker. If you enjoy conversations about the challenges of making documentary films, 
check out my episode with the directors of Making a Murderer. The controversial series explored the case of Stephen Avery, a Wisconsin man who was wrongly convicted of rape, released after two decades in prison, and then convicted of murder. The series was written and directed by Laura Ricciardi and Moira Dimas. It just seemed like, you know, he was this incredible window through which to look at our system. You know, if we followed this man's story, we would go from one extreme of the system to the other. So as I was saying, you know, we had no money, but what we, what we could put into it was time, which is actually an incredibly valuable asset. And after doing a preliminary week of shooting in December, realized this was something we wanted to pursue. And we sublet our apartment in New York. We got an apartment in Manitowoc. And we lived there, you know, more on than off for close to two years. To hear more of my conversation with the filmmakers behind Making a Murderer, go to heresthething.org. After the break, Lucy Walker explains why some California residents resist taking even basic steps to prevent forest fires. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourist and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Lucy Walker is originally from the UK. 
She moved to Los Angeles in 2008 and quickly began exploring what was causing the huge fires around California. I'd been observing these fires and wondering and and been frightened. But that fire, the largest ever fire in California, the Thomas Fire with the terrible debris flow in Montecito in 2017, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to make a film about this. And I began to make the film then. The film actually features fires that happened later in Malibu and Paradise, but I'd already been working on the film for a year at that point when those fires came along. Now, you were, I don't know if this is the word, monitoring the fire situation in Southern California. So when Paradise happens when Malibu happens. You're you're already there monitoring those that kind of activity, correct? Exactly. And I'd already been filming a great deal and already made friends with these incredible firefighters, actually the incredible firefighters in the Montecito Fire Department, and been embedded with them on various fires and calls and knew just who to call up. And when the fires broke out in Malibu and Paradise. Actually, I saw it on Twitter early that morning, and I instantly was able to call out the firefighters that I knew actually in Montecito and hop in with them as they were being deployed down to the fire in Malibu. And we knew the fire command, and we were able to really film within those incidents immediately and know what we're looking at. And know how to film it, because we'd been doing a lot of preparation and and filming by that stage. The film obviously has some ghastly optics there. You you lay audio tracks of people calling 911, or there's some kind of recorded voice you have of someone screaming, this blood-curdling scream as they're being engulfed, and the visual might not be, you know, their visual, but you, you lay that track against a car proceeding down the tunnel of flames. Everyone's trying to leave. I want to make sure our listeners understand that up in Paradise, the campfire, everyone tries to leave at the same time. Mm, yeah. I mean, something that we get into, because we start with the fires, and you're so right, it's the most horrifying and hellish scenes and 85 people were killed in paradise in the most hellish, terrifying way imaginable. And we were able to gather so much material, including the 911 calls and the radio traffic so that you really get a sense of what that's like. We meet a girl who uh, couldn't persuade her mom to evacuate because she hadn't had an evacuation warning and she has to leave because she's so scared. And unfortunately, her mom did succumb to the fire and all these terrifying stories of a woman who just had a C-section and she is in the car, but she can't, somebody's giving her a ride out to escape, but she can't feel her legs. She's just had an epidural. And she has this newborn baby who's just been born by hours earlier by C-section. And she has to say to the driver of the car who she's never met, if it comes to it, just take my baby and run because I can't move and I'm going to die, but I want my baby to have a chance. So take the baby and run. (sighs) I mean, these scenes, you can't imagine how traumatic they are. And then we sort of don't stop there, though. It wasn't enough to me to just show the horror. I wanted to understand what happens next. How do we stop this happening again? Because I learned that these communities burn over and over again. Actually, this summer already with the Dixie Fire, that fire began 
right where the campfire began as well and burned right up into the same community of having causing our characters to all be evacuated again. There was another fire last year that killed another 22 people that was right next door. And so what I wanted to understand is, well, how are we stopping it? Or why are we having this problem? And why are people living in these areas and building these houses that burn over and over and over again? Could we do better? And you start to understand it's not sensible. When you figure out what should be happening and you figure out what's actually happening, it's not the same thing. So you would think that when people look at developing an area for housing, they would think about is fire safety and the cost to the homeowner and also to the state um, a nation of these risks that people are having. But in, in fact, there's an incentive locally to approve all the building because a town wants more residents because then they're going to have more tax revenue. Mm. But nobody's actually thinking about, well, are they going to be able to insure these homes? And who's going to pay if these homes burn down? There's all these kind of mismatched incentives. And what's actually happening now to poor homeowners is in, the, in, the, in these areas, unexpectedly now the insurance companies are cutting them off. And California actually put a moratorium on insurance companies dropping their customers because it was so sudden and, and so dire. But in future, the truth with climate change and with this problem, which is not just caused by climate change, but is escalating, is if these homes are uninsurable, what's going to happen to the residents if they burn down? And a lot of them are not going to be able to insure and uh, afford that. And there's going to be a huge burden. And, and we're seeing these problems sort of pile up. It's the inability to get together and solve these complicated problems. It really is just like it is with climate change, that we have a complex problem on our hands. And so sort of we, we all need to really get together and have sensible discussions about what we can all do to solve this. It's not easy, but you really capture in the film exactly where the problems are happening, exactly which conversations are not happening, exactly where officials can't get voted out by doing anything unpopular and the town don't want to be told what to do. So you see this town where 85 people were killed and 18,000 buildings were burned down less than a year later. 18,000, you said? 18,000 structures lost. Not all of them homes. Some of them were buildings that weren't homes, businesses or, or other structures. But 18,000 structures lost. It was the most expensive disaster of that year in the world. Less than a year later, the town doesn't just vote against these measures. They eviscerate their seven town council members for daring to suggest these measures, many of which have no cost. A few of them, like sprinklers, do have a cost associated, but some like actually changing the way that, that you could have gutters. So changing the rules around gutters, that's free. And people like their gutters. People don't want to be told what to do about gutters, even though the fire chief and all the people that know how fire works are begging them to reconsider this. Still, this feeling that like we don't want to be told what to do. This is a town where we do our own thing. And, and not being able to have that complicated discussion with people about, well, that's great. But the unfortunate reality is that when your home catches fire because you have this gutter with the leaves stuck up there. You're also going to catch fire to your neighbor's homes. And then all the roads are going right. to clog up. And it's a domino escalating problem. It's similar to get the vaccination, not just for yourself, but for everybody exactly else. Exactly right. 
And you actually learn that it's actually a really good analogy because that idea of social distancing is exactly like there's a, a concept in fire safety where you have this five foot defensible space, they call it. So you don't have anything flammable within five feet of your house. And that's sort of like social distancing. Then the aerosol dispersion is like the embers when you have the virus, the little particles that will come out and infect people, that's actually the same as the embers. It actually how fires start is these ember storms get carried by the wind and actually will catch. So it's a really eerily perfect analogy with the pandemic. So that really got me thinking, of course. Another interesting thing about the film is that in looking at these two fires that were kicked off by the same wind event, in paradise, it they called it a red hill in a blue state. So even though California is a mostly democratic state, this area, paradise in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, is a much more moderate or even conservative, conservative area. Lots of guns, lots of Republicans, and a much more rural sort of mindset. And Malibu, it's a much more democratic place. And um, much more well-to-do as well. So the socioeconomic disparity was astonishing. In Malibu, the average home price was over 10 times more than the average home price in Paradise that burned. So it was really interesting. So describe what happened in Malibu. The fire was where? The fire was everywhere. It was a huge fire. And you're right, Malibu is such a gorgeous, gorgeous place just outside of Los Angeles and just spectacular spectacular countryside, spectacular scenery over the ocean. But with those hills and canyons that give you these spectacular views, you have a lot of vegetation and you have a lot of wind. And when those winds just line up just right, you get these terrible fires. And on that day, it was a monster and it was in so many canyons and it was all going off at once in this gigantic incident. Up near Point Doom? It did. It burned right into Point Doom and everyone said, oh, the point never burns. And it did. And I'm sure you you too, you know, I, I had friends that lost their homes there and was able to film with them as they went through that. And we were able to film with the fire department as they're driving around trying to fight this fire, but it's huge. And the public didn't quite get it. The public didn't quite understand that it wasn't sort of the firefighter's fault for doing a bad job. Right. Whereas in fact, this fire was so humongous and every firefighter was out working without sleep for days on end. And yet you just can't fight a fire that big. And what was extraordinary given the scale was that not more people died. At least three people did die. And I forget how many thousand structures, but thousands and thousands and thousands of of incredible homes were lost, and it was devastating. And when most of those we are not in the, not in the point, but up in the hills on the other on the land side of the highway. Yeah, exactly. Like up in like Encinal or places like that. Exactly, exactly. Loads of those right. canyons up there. You can just drive up there, and it looked like, you know, instead of the normal vegetation, it looked like a kind of like a kind of singed pig hide or something. I can't describe this landscape. It just looked, everything right. was just burned and black. And the the houses, the footprints of the houses look like ashtrays. You can see the imprint of where the house right. would be. Like a box. Yes. Of a different, different colored material. Exactly. And then once in a while, just a strange building that, you know, strangely wouldn't have burned. Or actually not so strangely, because some of those buildings were actually designed not to burn and were 
and, and did have the proper defensible space. And there are ways I learned that you could protect them. But it was very surreal because you'd see some of the structures did survive. But some areas, there were whole canyons or whole streets where all the structures were burned. And it was absolutely uh, devastating. And it also you have, it gave rise to a lot of conspiracy theories, as with the pandemic, you know, people would say to me, and perfectly sensible looking people that would start out, you know, seeming very smart, we'd be having this conversation. And suddenly they'd start talking about how it must be laser pointers, because it was so hard to account for the fact that some structures had survived. But I learned about this. And I learned that actually, there are ways you can build homes that mean that they do survive when the fire burns through, as they burn through really often, because I learned with Malibu, these fires happen all the time. It's happened over and over again. I found all these films, and we show in the movie this extraordinary film about the Bel Air fire in the 60s, and there's this wonderful presenter you know, in 1963 saying, I wonder if this was a one in a million chance or could this ever happen again? And it's happened dozens of times since he asked that question. These fires come through all the time. There was another fire in Sonoma in the beautiful wine country in Northern California. Yes. The Tubbs fire, and that killed over 20 people. I remember driving on the 405 mm. through the Sepulveda Pass, or actually my friend was, and he filmed like out of a uh, an epic film, mm. you know, like a Cecil B. DeMille film. Yeah. The flames just roar. Because as you know, all those grasses when they dry out are a golden color. Mm. They're like a golden wheat color. And you'd see, like you said, like a singed pig's hide. That was a funny reference. And then in the middle of that, of the burned yellow fields, is the the, the debris from the, the house that burned out. And you'd see in your film those box-shaped, the, the uh, building envelope of where the house burned down. And he sent me the film of the flames just roaring over the Sepulveda Pass near the Getty Center. You know, and the, and the flames just roaring as people just drove through like it was another day in L.A. Uh, I want to ask you, though, regarding the campfire people in Paradise, and you said that after the campfire, they had other fires that were mm. similar and came right up to their door or whatever. Did they raise their taxes to have some kind of greater fire protection system in place? No, because half the tax base was gone. When I was filming, I was filming one incredible guy who had an incredible blind mom and they'd he was the one person that managed to stay and defend his home and successfully and, and live. And I got to know him, but he was one of seven people who were still collecting their mail. And so you can understand that the fire department, who I'd made friends with and fallen in love with all these incredible firefighters in paradise, half of them were laid off after the fire because there was no more tax dollars to pay for them. And not many people living in the town. And so you had these poor, depressed firefighters with not much work to do and having had half their colleagues lose their jobs the month after the campfire was absolutely brutal. But no, I mean, FEMA stepped in with great resources for people. And it was ironic to me because a lot of the people in paradise will tell me that they hate big government. They don't know where their taxes go. But they're the people who were able to buy, you know, trailers or get money from the FEMA, which is the government, which is what go our tax dollars go on, right? Precisely because th there was FEMA to pick up the pieces and support people and uh, buy a lot of people trailers and or get people into new homes. And then you have the economics, which is strange, but the home prices go way up. 
because you have a lot of people looking for homes. And that's this kind of bizarre cycle that we're in a, in a high fire zone, like Paradise or Malibu, that home cost goes up and up and up. And same thing, Montecito, and these home prices go up and up and up because you have so many people desperate for homes. They want to keep the kids in the school. They want to stay in these beautiful communities, but there's less housing. And and so you sort of see this cycle and, and in the immediate aftermath of a fire, there's actually less risk of fire because you've kind of burned off all that fuel. And so I think you get lulled into a false sense of security because immediately there's no risk of fire. You just want the continuity. You want to move back. You want to have your life you know, back as quickly as possible. Naturally and understandably, people just want to get back home. They want to rebuild or have a new home or just you know, get back on track as quickly as possible. And then as the years tick by and the fuel piles up and the risk of fire comes back, people kind of get a little complacent. Well, there hasn't been a fire for a while, so it'll probably be okay. But actually the risk is building. And as soon as the wind and the weather lines up again, that fuel and the wind is just going to be a recipe for disaster again. And so you can kind of see how this problem keeps compounding until we do something differently. What did you find that in the way that the film shows that stubborn, entitled, privileged Americans' independence, mm. you know, Americans who just don't want to be told what to do, let me come to that decision in my own way and in my own timing? I have a complicated relationship with this question. It's a great question. I'm from the UK originally in Europe, and there is more of a sense of the society coming together and we have a national health service. It's a really wonderful gift that you always have free health care and there's a feeling that the state has your back and will protect you. And Yet I immigrated to the US. I have an American passport. I personally, you know, made that voyage myself because it is exciting to start out on your own and and try your luck and go west young woman right and i personally really relate to this desire for independence and individuality and and that's me i'm a you know filmmaker and a creative artist person and and a woman who wants to you know use the voice and make the world a better place personally i left my family behind and I think about these wonderful American immigrants whose footsteps I'm in. And the people in these areas are often descended from gold miners and um, there's the gold rush. And California was with these rushes of even today we have the Silicon Valley kind of rush, but we've had aerospace, we've got wine, we've had punk rock, we've got the movies. I mean, the people, the reason people come to California are often to, you know, stride out on their own, right? And and we have that kind of community almost in our genes and, and it's exciting and it's entrepreneurial and it's driving the world's exciting economy, right? And at the same time, we have this challenge, which is if we don't come together, we can't solve these big problems and we're literally burning alive. Like literally when the, in the Christian imagination will be come up with the idea of hell, it's burning fire pits. And this is actually what we're creating for ourselves. Those scenes you see in Paradise in Malibu with people trying to escape through the flames or even succumbing as 85 people did in Paradise, this is actually sort of our worst thing that we can imagine. It's literally hell. 
And that's what we're doing. And so how can we come together with the pandemic, with climate change? Because there are things that we can do, but it does require us having difficult conversations with people that, that might be in crisis, that may have just had their homes burned down. But rather than just saying, sure, build the same flammable home right there without having to be told that you can't have your rosebush within five feet of the front door, Maybe we really need to have these difficult conversations. Maybe we really need to have difficult conversations about vaccination and the responsibility we have to our other people as well as to ourselves and how we need to lean into the system of knowledge called science, whether it's fire science or virology, to understand the world because it is the best system of knowledge that we have. And if we ignore it, we ignore it at our peril and that we are dying and suffering more. And as the world becomes you know, terrifyingly more challenging with climate change, are we going to put our best minds on trying to mitigate these effects? Several firefighters, I believe it was in either Paradise or or maybe it was in Santa Barbara, they committed suicide, correct? They had a suicide epidemic there? Yeah, you know, firefighters everywhere, first responders everywhere are suffering from post-traumatic stress. And really the suicides, the um, suffering, the divorces, the depression, I mean, lives are being really affected. And the first responders are at the sharp end of this. We're asking them to do so, so much. And the toll it takes is actually too much for the human psyche to bear. And I think we're just starting to learn about the toll that it's taking. And I think the firefighters are really trying to get better at supporting firefighters' mental health but we are really learning, and it was so moving to see fire chiefs breaking down in tears about the colleagues that they've lost and couldn't save. And to hear our wonderful firefighter we're following, Montecito, talk about the toll on it's taken on her family and her life. It was ju- it's just heartbreaking, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's not okay. I wanted people to understand that what's going on is not okay, people are suffering. We can't just keep doing this without really hurting people. We can do a better job, taking better care of our residents and our responders. Filmmaker Lucy Walker. If you're enjoying this conversation, tell a friend. And be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeart app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, Lucy Walker talks about her transition from loving theater to making documentary films. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Lucy Walker went to Oxford and graduated with top honors in literature. She got involved with theater at school, but soon became curious about making movies. I was very lucky in the UK. Again, that's wonderful. I grew up in the UK. I had a fantastic free system, so I had a fantastic education. And then I was very lucky because I won a Fulbright scholarship to go to NYU for graduate film school, which was a real golden ticket for me to come to New York City and study with incredible teachers from all around the world, including some uh, Russian teachers that had all in the collapse of communism come and were, were in New York teaching who were just geniuses and Martin Scorsese and Spike Lee and all these incredible uh, alumni and female filmmakers. There were just, you know, women directors, which I was, when I was growing up in the UK, there hadn't been any role models for me as a female director. So it was really, really exciting to come to New York and, and be infected with that kind of independent filmmaking spirit. And at the time, actually, documentaries weren't very big. But then in the 90s, there were these you know, new, exciting digital cameras came out and suddenly you could afford to get your hands on a camera and even without a script, just start shooting stuff. And then, of course, Avid's and these nonlinear editing systems came out. And that for documentary was huge transformation because before, as you know, you need a script and you need actors to tell a story because real life's kind of difficult to make interesting. But when you had your cheaper, fantastic cameras that you could still blow up the video to see on a big screen and it still started to look good. By 2000, we were having sort of digital video that looked decent. And we were also having these editing systems that meant that you could actually really edit fine tune with a whole bunch of stuff. You could take a big haystack and make a really finely crafted story out of it without losing your mind. Because before you had like, when you were cutting on film, it was so laborious to edit before. And suddenly it was just computer editing and you could click a button and pair different versions or make music videos and all this just amazingly fun, beautiful, dynamic stuff. And so that was this moment suddenly where documentaries became really exciting. And I thought you could actually make real life into a really exciting, watchable story documentary. Because actually, I always loved working with actors and wanted to do scripted stuff. 
What's what's stopping you? Oh, it's been tough. No, I'm always trying to make fiction films. And honestly, it's tough as any director and maybe even tougher as a female. I'm not sure. But no, I grew up in England um, actually directing theatre. That was my big love. And and at Oxford, I was every term I directed different play. And there was so much young talent at Oxford University. And I realized at a young age that I was not a very good actor. But if you did this thing called directing, you got to be around the actors and around the plays and to put on a fantastic show and for the actors to have all that they needed to do their incredible performances. But I didn't have to get on the stage myself. So that's how I became a director. And then I realized, oh, but wait, but film is even cooler because then you can do the cool shots and you can do close-ups. And I, I loved actually watching movies more than I loved watching theater. And I thought, okay, well, I could I even be a director of movies? And that's when I applied to NYU and was lucky enough to get in and learn how to direct movies. But it was only later on that I thought, oh, these documentaries are pretty cool because now I can make movies out of real people's lives. And so that's been really, really incredible privilege of a career. And I've loved exploring the world and meeting so many people and telling, you know, the, the stories of the courage and heroism of everyday people. And I've loved this, but I have to confess, it is tough. Give me actors and a script. And that is the fun way to tell a story. You've been uh, recognized multiple times for these films. You were shortlisted for five Oscars, of which you were nominated for two. Uh, Wasteland, was that about the favelas in uh, That's exactly Brazil? right, yeah. It, it, it's um, set in the uh, favela in the largest garbage dump in the world. An incredible artist right. does an incredible project with the people that live in the favela in Rio. That's right. And then the tsunami and the cherry blossom. And are we talking about the tsunami that was the Fukushima event? Exactly. The one in Japan, exactly, in 2011. That's right. And were you able to get anywhere near Fukushima? I would imagine no. Uh, I was close as you'd want to be. That's right. With a Geiger counter, making right. sure I wasn't too close for too long and getting too radioactive. Right. But yeah, no, it was, um, that was fascinating. That was, um, I was actually originally supposed to be making a little film about cherry blossom, which I love, and this beautiful in in Japan, they're obsessed with the cherry blossom, and there's this beautiful yes. season when the cherry blossom comes out. They celebrate spring and they sit under the trees and and sort of party with the cherry blossom and write poetry. And this was always a sort of dream I I had, and so I was all set to go and make a little film when the terrible tsunami earthquake disaster happened, and I thought about running away and not making the film. And then I thought, gosh, well, if the cherry blossom season is going to mean anything, it's going to mean the most this year when people are really uh, suffering. And so I sort of was the only person flying into Japan that day, along with my cinematographer. And we made this film with the Japanese survivors of the earthquake, tsunami, radiation disaster. And at, we kind of begin the film with the tsunami and end with the the cherry blossom coming and it, the, the relationship with the cherry blossom, the cherry blossom sort of comforts everyone and lifts them into spring and new life and new growth. And it was really an exquisite film. And it was amazing that it was nominated for the Oscars as well as Emmys and stuff. So yeah, it's, I've been really lucky that my yeah. films have been recognized. These two films, the tsunami film and also the, the fire film, I think that's actually why I thought okay, I can make this film about the fires because I had made that film about the tsunami and I thought I have made films about the courage and grace and resiliency of the amazing people that 
you can see in these disaster situations. When you see human beings rise to the challenges that are the most horrifying, it's very captivating and you learn a lot. And I, I think I had the confidence to begin Bring Your Own Brigade, which was a really difficult film to make, actually, because fire is a Right. really overwhelming problem and it's much easier to pretend it's not happening and just drive on past that fire and hope for the best right but to really dig in and understand it like i wanted to that i think i had the confidence because i had done that previous film about disaster now documentary film has exploded in the last 20 years everybody's buying documentary films and wanting to program documentary films during your career uh, have you noticed that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like we do have, thanks to this amazing technological revolution of fantastic cameras where you can afford to shoot a bunch of stuff and fantastic editing computers where you can really arrange that stuff to perfection without losing your mind, that you can really craft real life and that we've really got these windows into these worlds now that we can make incredible films that really are kind of magical instruments you know as the microscope helps us peer into tiny cells or the telescope helps us peer far away into stars i feel like the documentary films can actually be a machine to glimpse how life happens you know when you see a wonderful documentary you kind of get this perspective of how life actually unfolds or how something works in the world or a story that for me, it's just fascinating glimpses into the kind of mechanics and machinery of, of how things actually are. And that's just an incredible new thing that the technology has afforded us that does give uh, wonderful actors and scripts a run for their money. So I think now that documentaries are fascinating to people, and I think that there's room for both now, which is really, really exciting. So everyone loves watching, you know, fantastic movies where the story is written to perfection and performed to perfection by the best actors in the best locations and the best costumes and all that glorious production value that we love. Yet, there's something about the reality and that these are real people, this is a real situation, this is a real story that's also really fascinating powerful. and powerful. That's right. So I love the fact that right now in the world that we have both. And I think also with the streamers and these new platforms, the streamers know that see the numbers and they see that audiences are really loving unscripted and nonfiction. And that's given mm. them the confidence and the ability to commission more of it. And so I feel like there's room for everything. And we're finding these different audiences and serving these different audiences and different curiosities. And I think that's really terrific. What are you working on now? Ooh, good question. I can say I'm very fascinated with psychedelic science and the incredible science that's coming in that shows that psychedelic molecules are actually incredibly full of promise to treat the hardest to treat conditions that we have, depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, eating disorders, the kind of anguish you have if you're uh, confronting a terminal diagnosis. These are things that are current medicines have nothing for addictions, alcoholism. I mean, these are really, really hard to treat conditions causing huge, huge suffering around the world. And it turns out that these psychedelic molecules are actually showing incredible promise. So I'm really excited about that. And I have a couple of projects that will hopefully be coming out soon. As my friend once said, he said he would take acid when he was young because he wanted to tear down walls, the walls of perception that blocked him from seeing things in the best way possible or the most open-minded way possible. And that was when he was young. 
And then he got older and he said, it took me so long to build those walls back up again. I can't bear the idea of tearing them down mm-hmm. again. Fascinating. He told me he was not going to be dropping acid in his 50s and 60s and so Well, forth. he might be a lucky and happy person in his 50s. I think there's a lot of older people, though, that kind of get stuck in the wrong rut, right? And as we get older, yes, yes. It, get, it can get harder and people often get stuck in maladaptive uh, defense mechanisms, for example, that might have outlived their usefulness and actually might be getting in your own way. And for some people, actually, for some people, tearing down those walls can be a real gift as an intervention. Lifesaver, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to say I'm a great fan of yours. I'm a great admirer of your films. Thank you very much. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you down the road, I hope, okay? Oh, what a treat. Thank you. Lucy Walker. Her documentary about the California wildfires Bring Your Own Brigade is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. This episode was produced by Kerry Donahue, Zach McNeese, and Kathleen Russo. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Here's the Thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.